0: Where are you going to spend Christmas this year? Have you figured that out? Have people been asking you? How do you feel about it? Is there that family member that you're dreading? If not, maybe it's you. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the old saying, after three days, fish and family start to stink? I don't know. Is that the case in your home? No, I'm very blessed and have a wonderful family. And thank you for your help today. That was wonderful. This picture doesn't exactly uh, look like Christmas cozy to me. Uh, my son Matthew has this little place under a, a piece of furniture that he's put Christmas trees and a little cabin and an old car and all these other th- and some lights. I think on the tree. He calls it Christmas cozy. It doesn't look anything like this. Blackwell's Asylum. Have you heard of this place? It was the first. Lunatic Asylum for the City of New York, the first municipal mental hospital in the country. Now, we don't really use that word in titles anymore, lunatic. Instead, we say things more like mentally ill. Or, but then it was not mentally ill. It was lunatic or deranged or unpredictable or dangerous. Something had to be done with these people. And so the city of New York decided to set up the Blackwell Island Asylum, part of a larger complex of city buildings on the island, including one that was a prison there on the island. So you had all of these people there on the island. Here is, it was supposed to be, as I said, a state of the art facility. So it was this nice, cathedral or whatever you call this, winding staircase. And then you have all these nurses. I think that's a Christmas tree down there at the bottom is what it looks like to me. And it may have started with noble intentions. But by the early 1800s, New York City had become the largest urban area in the United States. The population of the city was heavily bolstered by immigration and industrialization. And so as a result, there was a large number of poor and mentally ill people whose care fell to the responsibility of the city. So they opened what they called state-of-the-art institution in 1839 with the most progressive treatment methods available. What do you think? Do you want to go? Well, very soon it was anything but state-of-the-art Those running it, I don't know if they they had so much funding for each individual that was there, exactly how it went. Maybe the money never got passed down. Maybe they got more for the number of people that they had there. But very quickly, the quality of the place shifted. It became dangerous and overcrowded. Patients were fed uh, rotting and stinking food. Have you eaten anything rotten lately? Not easy to do. They were subject to barbaric treatment. Some were guarded nearly all day long, and they had to sit on these benches from six in the morning until eight at night, no talking, no getting up, no ideas of what's happening around them. They simply had to sit there in quiet and in silence and receive this type of treatment day after day after day. Soon these reports started to leak out, This facility was built to accommodate 630 people, but by 1870, it had doubled to 1,300 people. There was massive overcrowding. People were sleeping on the floor. There was a huge lack of staff. And as I mentioned, poor diet, just general uncleanliness. And so this caused outbreaks of sickness and disease and other forms of abuse. Sadly, over 80% of those that were here were considered immigrants, most of which could not speak the language, and so they were labeled as insane and sent to this place. Charles Dickens got to visit this site at one point, and this is what he said. Everything had a lounging, listless, madhouse air, which was very painful the moping idiot cowering down with long, disheveled hair, the gibbering maniac with his hideous laugh and pointed finger. He goes on, the vacant eye, the fierce, wild face, the glooming picking of the hands and lips and munching of the nails. They were all there without disguise in naked ugliness and horror. So where are you going to spend Christmas? And would you like to spend it here? Well, all of that changed as, again, more publicity, but it was one person in particular, Nellie Bly, in 1887. There was even pages and pictures on different periodicals of the time. The New York Times ran some things, but when Nellie Bly did something that was unheard of, everything changed. This young girl, at 23 years old, a female reporter, decided to go undercover and pretend that she herself was mentally insane. Some of you out there could probably pull that off too. (laughs) So she goes into this place to see what it's like and listen to what she said. From the moment I entered into the insane ward on the island, I made no attempt to keep up the assumed role of insanity. I talked and acted just as I do in ordinary life. Yet strange to say, the more sanely I talked and acted, the crazier I was thought to be by all can you imagine 23 years old being there on that island talking and acting in the same way and everybody says boy this one is really a special case they think they know what's going on they must really have it bad after a few days she was ready to go but she couldn't find her way out No one would believe her or listen to her. She says, What expecting torture would produce insanity quicker than this treatment? As she tasted the food, as she had to sit on those cold benches, as she perhaps slept on the floor, she says, You can come into this place sane and very quickly become insane. And I imagine there were days she thought that was exactly what was happening. The expert physicians, she wrote... Take a perfectly sane and healthy woman, shut her up, and make her sit from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. on straight back benches. Do not allow her to talk or move during these hours. Give her no reading and let her know nothing of the world or of its doings. Give her bad food and harsh treatment and see how long it will take to make her insane. Finally, after 10 days, Joseph Pulitzer the one who put her on this assignment was able to contact, I don't know if his attorneys or what all, to pull her out and she reported and this hit the news and it was a big story. Finally, something was going to be done about this place. Her report got the world's attention and she eventually put it in this book, 10 Days in a Madhouse by Nellie Bly. That was her pen name. And as a result of her reporting, several things happened. One, the city ordered a grand investigation, if you will, into what was going on. Secondly, the city of New York invested $1 million into the facility. Put it into my little calculator of what it would be today. That's about $17 million to try and improve what was going on there. They released immigrant Patients who were admitted simply because they could not be understood, very badly needed to be done, and they fired numerous staff, all because this one woman was willing to risk what it was like on the inside to see things firsthand, and her report changed the world. Shifting gears here a little bit. One could say that Jesus entered the world 2,000 years ago into, again, what we could call a madhouse. Galilee was ruled by a paranoid tyrant who ordered the execution of every child under the age of two. Can you imagine? Nazareth had such a poor reputation, it said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? No, the world that Nellie Bly entered was cruel and unforgiving, but the world Jesus entered, I think we could say, was much worse. Desire of Ages puts it this way, sin had become a science, and a vice was consecrated as a part of religion. Rebellion had struck its roots deep into the heart, and the hostility of man was most violent against heaven. The very stamp of demons was impressed upon the countenance of men. Human faces reflected the expression of the legions of evil with which they possessed. That was the world that Jesus came into. It wasn't excited to meet him or greet him, but was out to get him from the start. But look at this. Such was the prospect upon which the world's redeemer looked. With pity, he saw how men had become victims of satanic cruelty. What an incredible God we serve. He looked with compassion upon those who are being corrupted, murdered, and lost. Jesus came to restore in man the image of his maker. None but Christ can fashion anew the character of man. Isn't it true? He came to expel the demons that had controlled the will. He came to lift us out of the dust to reshape the marred character after the pattern of the divine character. John 10.10 puts it this way. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Hebrews 12, verse 1. We looked at this a few weeks ago. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. How did he endure? The joy that was set before him, despising the shame. He has sat down now at the right hand of the throne of God. He came to redeem fallen humanity. He came to redeem this hopeless situation, this madhouse, this insane asylum called Earth. Now, Nellie Bly is known for many other things. She actually set out to disprove the the fiction book Around the World in 80 Days, and sure sure enough, she was able to do it. Uh, I think it says the date on here somewhere. She did it in 72 days. People say her longest lasting contribution, few would argue, the longest lasting contribution she made to the world was her service to the unfortunate. But the staggering demonstration of selflessness ever witnessed was not 10 days in an asylum. (laughs) followed by an attorney's demand for her release and articles and trips and a little bit of fame. No, it was the sovereign of the universe, leaving heaven. Can you imagine? The king of kings and lord of lords, the creator of the universe who spoke and things came into existence, humbled himself to the point of being willing To be an innocent, helpless, dependent baby. To place himself in such a foreboding, completely trusting circumstance and to die in our place. Friends, sometimes I look at the news, sometimes I look on what's happening around us, and sometimes it feels a little bit like this world is a bit of a madhouse with the sickness, the death, the dying, the abuses, the shootings, the fires, the hurricanes, you name it. This is planet Earth. This is where we call home. But God came to save us from this existence. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what he came to do. Without that sacrifice, without his perfect life in our place, we are stuck forever in the madhouse. But he came to set us free. To be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Hebrews 2, 17 says, Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren. Why? That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He had to be like us to take our place. He had to go through life here in this madhouse And now he is our high priest administering his own blood in our behalf. That's good news. And it never would have happened if he wouldn't have first come in the form of a baby. Raised by a mother who loved him and cared for him, nurtured him, trained him, and eventually let him go to this mad world. And he ministered, and he healed, and he preached. And then he died. For you and for me. But my question to us this morning is, what are we going to do with this incarnation, his life and his ministry and his death? There's this story where Jesus is accused of being blasphemous and breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus responds to them and says, But you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. But you are not willing. It's an interesting expression. He doesn't say, you're too sinful. You're completely out to left field and all these Because you refuse to come to me, is what he says. What did they know? They knew all kinds of things. They knew about prophecies. They knew about the wise men. They knew about what the shepherds had claimed. They knew about the priest that lost his voice. They knew about how he had turned water into wine. They knew, they knew, they knew, they knew, but they would not accept. But you're not willing to come to me that you might have life, Jesus says, pleading with them. And my question to you and I is, are we willing? Because we know. We've heard the Christmas story before. We know that. We've heard the Genesis account. We know that. We've read John three sixteen, and we've heard sermons about the cross and about the blood and all these. We know. But what are we going to do with it? Are we going to keep it out here at arm's length? Or are we going to let it penetrate deep into our hearts? John 1, verse 11, He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. What a sad commentary. He came to his own. How hurtful is that? It's one thing to be rejected by strangers or even enemies, but when you come to your own, you expect to be received. And he came to his own. He came to his people, and they received him not. Friends, Jesus has made every provision for you. The question is, will you receive it? Will you accept it? The incarnation was for a purpose. It speaks of a savior who came to a madhouse to restore in man the image of his maker. And friends, none but Christ can fashion that in you and in me. He's made every provision. He offers everything for you and for I. Will we receive him? Is the question. Because I believe very soon... He will explode in the sky. Soon the angel of of heaven will blow their trumpets. Soon the sky will shine with the brightness of his coming. Soon those who are trophies of his victory, who have been washed and made white in the blood of the lamb, will be changed, will be healed, will be restored, will be made whole for all those that receive him. So this Christmas holiday, my question is very simple. Is there room in your heart for Jesus this morning? Not just to know about him or hear stories of him, but to know him as he longs for you to know him. He knows you. Do you know him? He longs to be close to you. Do you long to be close to him? I pray this Christmas season we can all say yes. There is room in my heart for Jesus. Dearest Heavenly Father, we thank you that you were willing to not just send somebody, but to come yourself in the form of a precious baby and to live to walk this earth, to preach, to teach, but most importantly, to die in our place. Lord, we want to receive you in our hearts today. We want to have room in our hearts today for you, the King of the universe. May it be said of us that you are our Lord, our Master, our Savior, and our friend this Christmas holiday, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.